1: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD Will the Thrill and TJ2. Woo!
2: Welcome to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast. The podcast where we talk about. The lies and De- I'm going to stop that. That is so good. Yeah, I was about
0: to that's say yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah. if, if that's the thing you won't, you told me to stop, if it was annoying, I was about to tell you to stop. <laughs> we were pretty much there.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, welcome to the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I'm your host, LD. Along with me for the ride today is Will the Thrill. Hello. And TJ2, the deuce.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there it is.
2: Okay, yeah. we're well, drinking.
0: Um, okay, so first of all, in case you couldn't tell, I did that with my mouth. <laughs> that wasn't the actual crack and whoosh of a can being open. Because... being you I,
2: be in the I, guy I, from that movie that one time? The yeah,
0: the, the guy that was famous for that one thing that he did. Yeah, no, I, um, I have beer in a bottle. And opening a cap doesn't lend itself to a cool sound, really. So. Uh, okay. And I actually uh, got bored while we were setting up to record and went ahead and opened it and started drinking it anyway, so.
2: Okay, fair enough. So what kind of beer are you drinking?
0: I'm enjoying a Highland Black Mocha Stout.
2: Oh, oh that sounds like something you sure. should say for Christmas.
0: Getting in touch with my inner beer snob today, yes.
2: Nice. nice. Well done. So, uh, uh, Mr. Hickey,
3: what are you drinking? Well, in honor of the late Amy Winehouse, we did some research on her drink of choice, which was apparently called a Rickstasy, so ecstasy plus the name Rick, and it consists of vodka, Southern Comfort, banana liqueur, and- Yeah, it's- um, Yuck. Oh, It's, uh, I, I, yeah. I don't know why Miss Winehouse enjoyed this as much as she did. That sounds like punishment. It's not that great.
0: (laughs) Could she not find a way to fit the actual taste of ass into a glass?
3: <laughs> Look, all I know is buying these ingredients. I, I the clerk refrained from any comment. I'm sure, but I could read his face.
0: Yeah. A, a well, southern man. comfort and southern comfort and banana liqueur. I don't. I didn't need to hear anything else. And I was like, yeah, I think I'll pass on that one and let you do it today. Will
3: no, nothing? Nothing good ever came of that. So <laughs> no,
0: not no, not of, no, not out of Soco. No, sir. It sure didn't.
3: I can tell you that we
2: have something that is going to be sitting in our cabinet for a very long time. So.
0: The rock and roll heaven listeners can win a bottle of banana liqueur, mostly
3: unused. <laughs>
0: mostly. <laughs> a partially consumed bottle of Southern Comfort. Well, no, no, she,
3: that, that's where I, I really shined because I specifically got the airline bottle of Southern Comfort because I was oh, not good. buying it. So I draw the line there.
0: Yeah, that's, that's... not going to
3: happen.
2: Because I mean, the vodka he can mix another. other yeah, stuff. Vodka's fine, yeah, fine. vodka is fine.
0: The, the vodka is the only part of it that didn't sound abhorrent to me
2: you know the baileys doesn't sound terrible to me like because i like stuff on the sweeter side if when i did drink so
3: that doesn't sound terrible yeah i mean and if you buy a bottle of baileys it'll kind of look at you be like okay baileys whatever you know you can put but, that in your uh, coffee yeah but but banana liqueur and southern comfort there's really no uh there's no free pass on that Mm-mm. nope um so
2: will's taking one for the team because i
3: don't drink yeah, so you're both welcome yeah
2: so, love you honey <laughs> uh so Today, as you guys probably have guessed, we are going to be talking about Miss Amy Winehouse as part of our continuing series on the 27 Club.
0: And boy, what a what a um, contrast to last week's episode. For those who didn't hear it, we did Robert Johnson, who was born in 1911 and died in 1938, and almost nothing is known about him, and when he died, nobody had ever heard of him. To the point that people tried to book him for a show like six months after he had been, <laughs> after he'd been put in the ground. Yeah. He sold, I think, 5,000 records in his entire career. And almost literally, there, there's nothing verified you can find on the record about him or very little. We're going to do this week somebody who lived their entire life in the mass media age about whom you probably know everything mm-hmm. from doing research.
2: Yep, and my uh, first pass at her research was 36 pages. Oh my God. Keith Moon is right now sitting at 86 pages, so. (laughs) And a a like 600 page novel. So I still have that to go through, so. Okay, good. But yeah, I've got her down to 17 pages. Well, it's like 16 pages and two paragraphs. So hopefully this is gonna be a good episode. All right, so jumping in, Amy Jade Winehouse was born on the 14th of September, 1983, so she's a Virgo, and four years younger than us, and she was born at the Chase Farmhouse in uh, North London, a suburb of Southgate in London, England, for those who don't know where London is. Uh, Her father, Mitch Winehouse, worked as a cab driver while her mother, Janice, was employed as a pharmacist.
0: By the way, a cab driver is a person who drives a cab.
2: Yes, and a pharmacist is someone who gives you drugs. Great start, everybody. Yep. (laughs) Thanks for joining us this week. Check us out next week. (laughs)
0: Actually, the guy that gives me drugs is named Snooky, but whatever. I don't (laughs) know.
2: But she had an older brother, Alex, who was born in 1979. Woo-woo! That's our year, babe. Yeah,
3: there we are.
2: And she attended Ostage primary school in her early years. Uh, White House was immersed in music, and and this is what we were talking about before. I can't remember who we were talking about before, though, who just didn't have, oh, it was, I think it was Frank Sinatra, didn't have, like, a musical family, you know, right?
0: Yeah, none of any kind, if I remember.
2: Yeah, her family was. Many of her uncles on her mother's side were professional jazz musicians, and her father sang as a child with his family. And her father, Mitch, often actually, funny enough, sang Frank Sinatra songs to her And whenever she got chastised in school, she was saying, fly me to the moon before uh, going up to the headmistress to be told off. (laughs) Winehouse actually attended a Jewish Sunday school when she was a child. During an interview following her rise to fame, she expressed her dismissal toward the school by saying that she used to beg her father to permit her not to go, that she learned nothing about being Jewish by going anyway. In the same interview Winehouse said she only went to synagogue once a year on Yom Kippur out of respect. So she's not exactly what we would call a super religious girl. She grew up listening to a diverse range of music from James Taylor to Sarah Vaughan. Hey,
3: James Taylor.
2: Yeah. And when she was 9 her parents actually got divorced and she was primarily raised by her mother. As a child she was always very self-willed, said Mitch, not badly behaved but different. I feel like that's uh that's kind of how you guys would have described me growing up in there.
0: No, I, I would have described you as bad.
3: <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah.
0: No, no. You... I no I no I just would have described you as a horrible terrible person.
2: <laughs> Look who's talking. You you made me swallow my front teeth and you gave me food poisoning like 5 years ago.
3: Oh god. Yeah. It was <laughs> much <laughs> longer ago. Yeah. Yeah. Cheddar please eh,
0: th- You made me. You made me throw up yellow in a bathtub once. Eh. God. You said.
2: You set <laughs> my clothes on fire. You jerk.
0: I did. In my defense, I didn't know that putting a uh, cloth on a red hot stove burner would cause a fire. In my defense, when I was eight or however old I was then. Good lord. <sighs> you see. But you were the bad. But you were the bad one.
2: How was I the bad one? I don't understand. Everything I did ever, I learned from you.
3: From you, all right. <laughs> I learned it by watching
4: you. <laughs> In
2: 1992, her grandmother, Cynthia, suggested that Amy attend the Susie Earnshaw Theater School, where she went on Saturdays to further her vocal education and learn to tap dance. I feel like that's something that every little girl eventually does. Mm-hmm. You have to learn how to tap dance. You're eight now. Mm-hmm. At the age of 10, she was drawn into listening to American R&B and hip hop acts. And uh, that's that's right around the time when they're really getting good. And that's like, for, I mean, like good for me because you know how much I love TLC and how much I love salt and pepper.
0: Right, and I said, by now we're talking, we're talking early, mid nineties at this point, right?
2: Yeah, 1993,
0: 94 oh, wow. Okay, so uh, so just to, if she's listening to American R and B, like you just said, TLC would have been up one, obviously. In Vogue was huge then. Oh, yep. was great.
2: Yep. Uh, um, yeah, yeah.
0: Peppa. Yep, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey was was huge by that time. So yeah, that 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 would if if she was listening to American R and B, it would probably have been stuff along those lines.
2: Yeah, yeah, and so she actually founded. A short lived amateur rap group called Sweet and Sour, <laughs> based on the model of Salt and Pepper with her best friend Juliet Ashby. Amy was the sour element. <laughs> and in Winehouse's own words, they were little white Jewish salt and pepper.
3: <laughs> like that, the Beastie Boys made salt and pepper?
2: <laughs> sort of. The duo never released an album, but they did actually record three songs, and those were Glam Chicks. Spinderella, who for those who don't know is the actual DJ for Salt and Peppa. And Boys, Who Needs
3: Them. Now to be fair, she is 10 at this point. So I wasn't really writing songs at age 10.
0: <laughs> I was, but almost all of them were about boogers and farts. <laughs> Nearly every one of them.
3: It was niche niche
0: genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right what you know, big man. <laughs> right what you know.
3: Yeah, your songs
2: were terrible and uh you're you're even as an adult your songs suck
0: yeah well, i would just say that jumbalaya gives me the squirts was an underappreciated gem.
2: <laughs> big old yard sale is probably still my favorite that's one.
0: one that's the best one yes that's my with that's love. my finest work with love my, with love with love is a good my Titty is a great one i mean there's there's so many hits that so many overlooked gems in my catalog She's taking your
3: calls
2: <laughs> Delbert moonshine and the and frog looking man, in your hand. the full hour. The full hour. <laughs> uh, biographer Chloe Govins, Amy Winehouse, the untold story made some headlines when it was alleged that Amy actually tried to kill herself when she was 10 years old. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. According to an old friend, Winehouse was emotionally devastated by her parents' divorce. And I mean, like I, I completely understand that, but that led her to overdose on pills. Uh, the friend said that she found Winehouse clutching her stomach with her mouth foaming. Old acquaintance talking about suicide attempts to, seems to be kind of a trend since Winehouse's ex also claimed that she cut herself eight weeks prior to her death. Oh, man. According to Sybil, who we'll talk about later, Winehouse had called him up on their wedding anniversary day, but his new wife was in labor at the time. So she allegedly said that she had cut herself really badly. However, all of the stories that swirl through the tabloids following her death, it can kind of be really hard to separate the, the truth from fiction. So like, Mm -hmm. you know how they say hindsight is 2020 and I agree to that uh, to some degree, but I feel like a lot of times people will take events or situations and kind of do the Nostradamus thing where they'll shoot an arrow and then paint a target around it Mm. And so they're like, oh, look, she, she cut herself really bad. That must be her doing self-harm before her, her death. At the age of 12, Winehouse was accepted into the prestigious Sylvia Young School, which is a theater school. And a year later, she received her first guitar. Up until that point, her family hadn't been aware of her vocal abilities. They went to go see a recital and thought that she would just be acting, remembers Mitch. But then she came out on stage and started singing, and I couldn't believe it. I never knew she could sing like that. The headmistress was amazed by Amy's talent. It's hard to overstate just how much she struck me as unique, both as a composer and a performer, from the moment she first came through the doors at age 13, sporting the same distinctive haircut that she has now.
0: How would you even describe her hair, other um, than it's, there's, it's, it's voluminous? It's a beehive. It's a
2: beehive.
3: No? Yeah.
2: It's a beehive, which kind of harkens back to her influences. Not so much now but she was really into the 60s yeah and you're going to be able to tell that through her vocal styling and yeah. she kind of pulled from like her look is very distinctive and we are going to get into it a little bit later but she had a look that just struck everyone
0: it kind of uh, you know what it looked it kind of it, it looked like 19 mid 1960s london
2: yes and that's it's kind, of, it's kind of what it looked
0: very, like. Which kind was of how I'd describe her look.
2: Like Austin Powers. Kind of,
0: yeah. I would kind of describe her hair as like, if like um, Wilma and Betty could have somehow had a kid.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, and there was a lot of it. Oh, yeah. So that, that was one of her big calling cards. But her abilities could put her in the same league as Judy Garland or Ella Fitzgerald. And she could be one of the greats. Sylvia Young, remembered a couple years later. Amy was overjoyed when she was inducted into that that school because it was basically a talent factory. If you went there, it was kind of like the Fame Academy (laughs) of London. Here's something that would never happen in our household. (laughs) Amy Winehouse's first tattoo was a Betty Boop that she got inked on her back when she was 15. Do you think I would have continued living if I had done that?
0: no probably not
2: you would have been murdered oh donna would have killed me <laughs> donna donna
3: would murder me and well i think this comes in the conflict too because i think certain sects of the jewish faith don't support tattoos if i'm not mistaken i that from what i
2: understand because your body is a temple. Yeah,
3: perhaps the more uh, orthodox yes jewish sex yeah
2: the other tattoos that she has includes a native american feather a horseshoe her grandmother cynthia a naked woman. I'm hoping it's not her grandmother, yeah,
0: Cynthia. That uh, I hope those are two distinct tattoos. You just
3: stopped. <laughs> a lightning. This dip. is my naked granny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, if I wiggle me back, it's like she's dancing, Governor.
3: She, she's dancing, Governor. Give her up. are up up. like a a Lackaday Eliza Doolittle? <laughs> <laughs> When I windle me back, it looks like she's dancing. Give her a dollar. It's like Terry Jones from Honey Python. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you need to stop this. Uh, the other tattoos that she has
2: um, are a lightning bolt and a razor blade with Blake written above it. And uh, we'll get to who Blake is. The budding vocalist went on to study at the Brit Performing Arts of School in Coydon, I hope I'm getting that right. South London, where fellow alumni include Leona Lewis. Uh, by the age of 16, she was actually ex- expelled from the school from not applying herself and piercing her nose. Soon after, she began working for a living, including at one time as an entertainment journalist for the World Entertainment News Network, in addition to singing with a local group in the Bolshla band. And in 2000, she became a featured vocalist. With the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, that same year in 2000, she actually caught her first big break when a schoolmate and a close friend, pop singer Tyler James, passed a demo to his label, A&R, who was searching for a jazz vocalist.
0: But well, the the uh, the thing I find interesting here is that you're talking about her being an entertainment journalist and all this stuff, and this is like in 2000, so she's not even 18 years old yet.
2: Yeah, no, wait. Did
0: she you wants, say she was born she to- to a journalist?
2: No, she, she was. Oh, she was. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was working as an entertainment So, journalist.
0: but you, she was born in 83, correct? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, she's 16 or 17 years old.
2: Yeah. I, you know, well, also it's, you got to think it's a different country. Sure. So I don't know if they have exactly the same kind of labor laws that we do.
3: Well, if their drinking age is any indication, I'm going to say they may be a little more lax on starting someone at a job if they are, say, 15 or 16.
2: Because Eli could
3: drink at 16, couldn't he? In Germany, in Germany, you can drink as long as you can reach the top of the bar. I mean, uh, it's it just it's a different approach. I don't think they would be so hard and fast. I mean, you know, we, you go into
0: pubs and you have kids working there who are... certainly can't uh, drink underage in South Carolina. That is never that, happens.
2: Is that true? I don't think that that's never true.
0: happens here.
2: I'm pretty sure I did a power hour when I was 17. <laughs>
0: That was said. That was said. Tongue firmly planted in cheek. Oh.
2: <laughs> also, I didn't do a power hour. That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so when her friend passed her demo tape to his label. That led to a record deal with Island Universal. Like almost immediately out of the gate, she gets. A, and I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm hoping it's not the same demo that she did with Sweet and Sour because oh I hope it was. I feel like yeah. she, she was. She might have grown musically in those. You, yeah, games.
0: You, you don't think Island would have heard Boys Who Needs Them and said that's it, we found what we're looking for. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> if I'm not no, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, Island was the long time home of You Too, correct? Oh yeah, the, the okay. I oh, mean right? that. So, so it's not like she's signing with some little local label that maybe can get her a little bit of distribution, and maybe she could manufacture a regional hit. I mean, she's on she's on the same label as you, too.
3: It is a major label, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was an
2: incredible vocalist.
3: She was like nothing else out there. There's
2: I mean, there's nothing like her. No, no,
0: no, I, no one was doing. To the to the extent that I know much about her at all, which admittedly is not a whole lot, pretty much everything you've said is so far has been news to me. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't listen to a lot of modern music at all, but I, I do remember hearing a couple of her songs and thinking, oh, boy, that girl could sing. I wonder who that is.
2: Yeah, huh? she was, I I, I think. Honestly, she stood
0: out, definitely. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. Like physically her 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 image captured you and then she opened up her mouth and you're like, holy crap. Because the, the way I was introduced to her was I actually saw the video for Rehab. We'll, we'll get to that song in just a few minutes, but. She's in Crackers. She was just miles above any other vocalist that we really had at that time. Uh-huh. Not, not taking away from Beyonce and, and uh, you know other people like that, but she was just something that was so new and so unique. Like, I feel like she deserved everything that she, every accolade that she ever got. She, she deserved it because she took you back to that time. The, the, the 60s. The swinging 60s. And man. it was just just so cool. So we're going to introduce you to somebody right now who plays a big part in her life, and that's in 2003, Winehouse dated Blake Sybil, who was an assistant on music video sets. And I don't know if that means to the director or is that like a PA? I, I couldn't get clarification on what he actually did. But around that same time, she actually rediscovered the 60s music that she loved as a girl. Stating in a 2007 Rolling Stone interview, when I fell in love with Blake, there were 60s music around us a lot. And in 2005, the couple spent a lot of time in a Camden bar. And during their time there, Winehouse would listen to blues, 60s girl groups, Motown artists, explaining that it was a local spot where a lot of the time we just play pool and listen to the jukebox. The music that she had heard appealed to her and she started writing songs for her second album. Now we're gonna to get to the first album in a second. So around that same year, she went through a period of like heavy, heavy drinking, heavy drug use and weight loss. And people said that she either suffered from bulimia or anorexia nervosa. So that's kind of the start of this rocky road that she's gonna be on for the next couple of years.
0: For the rest of her life, pretty much.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before we're actually talking about her hair, and I want to pop into that for just a second because she was actually influenced by soul girl groups from the '60s, such as the Ronettes, and that's the look that she kind of emulated.
0: You know, if not now that you say that, that makes a lot of sense. If you think, if you think about what Diana Ross and the Supremes, how their hair looked back then, or people like the Ronettes, and that then you think about her look with her hair and how she dressed and that actually starts to make a ton of sense
2: yeah she she had one specific guy it looks like she went through and that was alex Bowden, i believe who borrowed her instantly recognizable beehive and her cleopatra makeup like that strong strong eye mm. right from the ronettes and that's a cleopatra eye like a cat like that cat like when you looked at her she always had the big, big hair and the, the black eyeliner. Very strong eye. Okay, former Rolling Stone editor, Joe Levy, who had put her on the magazine cover, broke her look down this way. Just as her best music drew on sampling, assembling sonic licks and stylistic fragments borrowed from Motown, Stax, punk, and early hip-hop, her personal style was also a knowing collage. There was a certain movement in the 90s where if you were headed downtown and turned left, every girl looked like Betty Page.
3: Oh, yeah, that's, that is entirely true. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But they did not do what Winehouse did, mixing Betty Page with Bridget Bardot and adding that little bit of Ronnie Spector. Bridget Bardot! I am Bridget yeah. Bardot! Uh, Winehouse' use of bold lipstick, thick eyebrows, and heavy eyeliner came from the Latinas that she saw in Miami on her trip to work there. With Salam Remy on Back to Black, her look was repeatedly denigrated by the British press. At the same time that NME Awards nominated Winehouse in the category of Best Solo Artist and Best Music DVD in 2008, they awarded her the Worst Dressed Performer. (laughs) Winehouse also ranked number two on Richard Blackwell's 48th annual 10 Worst Dressed Women, just behind... Victoria Beckham. Victoria Beckham was number one. What? <laughs> she was
3: number one.
0: Hush? Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Winehouse actually ended up signing to Simon Fuller's 19 Management in 2002, which t- I think technically <laughs> I work for. Simon Fuller. Yeah. See, Idol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I technically worked for nine. I, I worked for 19. Huh. Hey. That's one degree of separation with me and Amy Winehouse. While being developed by the management company, she was kept as a recording industry secret. Although she was a regular at doing jazz standards singing at the Coben Club, her soon-to-be A&R representative and Island Records, DeMarcus Bc heard her by accident when the manager of the Lewinson Brothers showed him some productions of his clients, which featured Winehouse as a key vocalist. When he asked who the singer was, the manager told him that he wasn't allowed to say Having decided that he wanted to sign her, though, it took him several months of asking around for to eventually discover who the singer was. However, Winehouse already recorded a number of songs and signed a publishing deal with EMI by that time. She formed a working relationship with producer Salam Remy through these record publishers. B.T. introduced Winehouse to his boss, Nick Gatfield, and the Island head shared his enthusiasm in signing her. Winehouse was signed to Island as rival interest in Winehouse had started to build, including the representatives of EMI and Virgin, who all started making moves on her. BC told Kit Quarter that he felt the reason behind the excitement over an artist who was an atypical pop star for the time was due to the backlash against reality TV music shows, which included audiences starved for fresh, genuine young talent. So at this point, you know, 2002, you're already seeing things like american idol and yep. i think agt there had been other i mean when growing up we had star search which was not as pervasive as right as other things were but like remember american idol was a juggernaut
0: it was a phenomenon yes, yeah for, for about the first 10 years it was on the air
2: yeah i mean it it was massive and it's still
0: po- i mean still popular but i mean back at that point it was like appointment one of the last appointment viewing shows that there was really oh yeah
2: I mean, I was living in New York at the time, and I remember me and my mom, well, our mom, would call me up, and we'd talk about the show. Like, who sang what, who did a really good job, who we thought should have gone home, like, that kind of thing. It was like a connection point. That was the thing. These reality shows, this is one year removed from the premiere of American Idol. right but also we're living in a post nine 11 world where a lot of people just wanted to stay at home. Right. And, and they, they were afraid. And so you got all, you had all these copycat singing shows that came on and people were just starved for genuine talent that wasn't coming from TV shows or had been manufactured or anything like that.
0: They were burned out from putting on the hits.
2: (laughs) Yep. So Frank, if you guys don't know, was her first official album. The first album came out on October 20th, 2003, when she was only 20 years old. And yes, it is named Frank for Frank Sinatra. There you
0: go. I was going to guess Stallone.
2: (laughs) You would have been so close. So close. Gosh. Production for the album took place during 2002 to 2003 and was handled by Winehouse, Remy, Commissioner Gordon. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Batman? (laughs) Jimmy Hogarth and Matt (laughs) (laughs) Rowe. Wow,
0: Commissioner Gordon.
2: Do you think that they had like a light on the top of the the recording studio studio. and every time they turned it on, it was a giant bouffant?
3: (laughs) (laughs) He's the singer we deserve.
2: (laughs) The album alludes to its nature and tone of Winehouse's lyrics on the album, as well as one of her influences, Frank Sinatra. The track Me and Mr. Jones on her debut album was about rapper Nas. Amy name-drops his daughter Destiny in the song and references their shared birthday, and the pair would actually go on to be really good friends. So she was buds with Nas. Wow. That's cool. It was an instant hit rising to number three on the British Billboard chart, earning her both awards and financial freedom, and it hinted at her propensity for drinking and indulging in, you know, other vices which we'll get to later the song mr magic is a hidden track which we don't get hidden tracks anymore
3: yeah nobody doesn't we well, do, i don't mean
2: you them. can't you can't yeah. do a hidden track
0: well because because nobody or, or very few i do but not many people do i very few people physically buy music so yeah. you can't when you're downloading everything yeah it's hard they can't sneak one in there that you don't know exists
2: that that mr magic which was the hidden track was actually about substance abuse. So if you guys are paying attention early on, she was talking about this stuff in her art, but in a 2004 interview with the observer, Winehouse expressed dissatisfaction with the album stating that some things on this album make me go to a place. That's a little fucking bitter. I've never heard the album from start to finish. I don't have it in my house. Well, the marketing was fucked. (laughs) The promotion was terrible. Everything was in shambles. It was frustrating because you work with so many idiots. They're nice idiots, so you can't be like, you're an idiot, but they know that they're idiots.
3: (laughs) How does she really feel is my question.
2: (laughs) It was in the aftermath of the success that Winehouse truly began the struggle with narcotics and liquor that would inspire her greatest work, which I think we know was coming, and then steal the generational talent that made it so transcendent. So on her critically acclaimed album, Frank proved to be a shrewd, caustic lyricist <laughs> with her smoky evocative vocals drawing comparison to jazz rhythm and blues legends sarah Vaughan, nina simone and billy holiday which if you listen to those li- like that's kind of the mount rushmore of awesome voices yeah that's a camp you want to be in yes yeah, definitely we do need to take a short break for our sponsors and we will be right back and welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you so much for checking out our sponsors. You really help out the show by helping them out. But apart from the two songs on the album, all the lyrics were characterized by brutally honest lyricism, and they were all written by Amy. So it's all very raw and very real and very personal to her. The album sold over 1 million copies in the UK and has been certified triple platinum by the British Photographic Industry, or British. BPI. Hmm. The album earned her two Brit Award nods and put her on the shortlist for the Mercury Music Album of the Year and delivered a prestigious Ivor novelle Song Writing Award in 2004 for the track Stronger Than Me. And we are actually going to take a listen to that award winning song right now. So this is Stronger Than Me by Amy Winehouse.
4: to be stronger than me you've been here seven years
3: voice
0: i really like that song first of all her voice i mean you guys are right fantastic she's a she's a great vocalist but i like the kind of vibe of the whole song it's a very you you know you mentioned some of her jazz influences you can kind of hear that in fact while we were listening to it i actually asked you the horn part was that sampled from miles davis because it sounded very familiar but
2: yeah i'm not really sure but like it wouldn't shock me because of what her influences were
0: yeah the song had a very cool vibe to it i really liked it yeah
2: yeah and the thing is she's she's working with a well-known record label at this point so i mean they i'm sure they have the resources to pull from that so it might be just a here's just like a sampling of some of the criticism or praise actually for the album john bush called winehouse an excellent vocalist possessing both power and subtlety Uh, Nate Chenin of the New York Times complimented her original lyrics and called the music a glossy mixture of breezy funk, dub, and jazz-infected soul. And here's my favorite one, which was Becky Linden of The Guardian described Winehouse's sound as somewhere between Nina Simone and Erica Badu, at once innocent and sleazy. I think it's a really good comparison though. That's a yeah, real, yeah,
3: it really yeah, is. Ron Hill and Erica Badu, they it's got that similar vibe to it. Yeah, it
2: does.
0: That's one of those songs that if you had played it for me, I would have thought it was some forgotten like jazz standard from the 40s or 50s.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it transcends like time. Pop matters writer Mike Joseph felt that. The album shows that Amy Winehouse's success is based on pure talent rather than good producers and gimmicks okay so you got to remember like at this time we a lot of artists were leaning so heavily on auto-tune and that that came with the breakout of shares i believe 1997 release of believe where she used the, the the auto vocoder to you know do that warble in her voice
0: that tuned to z isn't it, didn't it like tuned to nothing or zero or something
2: it's something like that but like artists were just abusing it at this time and all of a sudden somebody comes on the scene and aren't using any kind of vocal tricks weird it's (laughs) weird to just hear raw talent like that so yeah so you could kind of see what the fuss was about but here comes the accolade that i actually think is one of the most important things that an artist could get and i want to find out who else is on this list but frank was included in the book one thousand and one albums you must hear before you die so i own the book one thousand and one films you need to see before you die and that's some pretty prestigious stuff
3: mm-hmm.
2: and the album was ranked 57th on the guardians 100 best albums of the 21st century list which i mean at that point you only had three years so i mean let's see 200. what it's about but like <laughs> it's it's incredible frank entered the uk charts at number 60 before climbing to number 13 in late january and uh, I think that we talked about this a lot. You know, there are artists who might be one-hit wonders in America, but still thrive in other countries. <laughs> the Proclaimers? Like the Proclaimers, <laughs> which we discovered last night. <laughs> but, but like, that's what I was talking about, Amy Winehouse. I'm not saying she was a one-hit wonder over in America, by any stretch of the imagination. But we really weren't...
0: Uh, we weren't hip to her
1: yet.
2: We weren't hip to her yet, because she only reached number 61 on the Billboard 200 in the U.S., Right. She hit 13 in the UK, and following her death, it actually re-entered the chart at number five before reaching a peak position of number three the following week, Ooh. and that was posthumously. So it did, like Frank did really well, you know, being her first album, but after Frank, she didn't write anything for 18 months. After meeting an influential music producer, Mark Ronson, however, the talented songwriter was inspired to pen Back to Black, which is The best-selling album of 2007. But we're going to get there. We're going to actually step back again. In the fall of 2005, Goodwin had seen enough of his client, which I think he's one of the guys from Ireland. He had had enough of seeing his client and close friends stumbling through Camden and closer and closer to the edge of squandering her talent, not to mention her life. He tried to convince her to go to rehab, but she swore up and down to her father that she didn't need to detox. So that effort was super short-lived. But eventually, Amy did agree to go to rehab, and more than once. But the months and years between the brief attempts in sober living were increasingly sore and sad, filled with a private chaos that was performed for the public. Back in Black was released in the United States in March of 2007, at which point she was fully in the grip of drinking and drugs. She dated a chef named Alex Clare for nine months, which proved a little bit more stable while she was uh, on a break from her on-again, off-again boyfriend and future husband, Blake, felt her civil. And she and Claire had lived together briefly and in a pattern that Blake and her would later repeat, Claire sold his story to the News of the World, which was published under the headline, Bondage Crazed Amy Can't Beehive in Bed. I see what you're doing there. Womp, womp, dork. And then so we're... Hopping back to the 2005s, she had this brief relationship with Blake and the pair got tattoos spelling out each other's names. But due to his, to his involvement with another woman, he soon split up with her and a devastated White House went on to write most of her award-winning 2006 album Back to Black after the breakup. The singer got involved with uh, The Chef and... It actually came apparent that Blake was kind of her soulmate in her eyes, like the true love of her life. And uh, it was apparent that she was totally in love with Blake. So they split. Nick Shaminsky was Amy Winehouse's manager and he spoke about it. It was around February 2005. I know it because I was on a skiing trip with my family and I called her five days into the holiday and she sounded different. I remember saying to my brother, something weird is going on. Amy doesn't sound like Amy. This is the person who would chant, Class A drugs are for mugs (laughs) at the beginning of her shows. I don't know what that means, but I think it has something to do with Class A drugs. Perhaps. What are Class A drugs?
3: To the Googles. So your A's are crack, cocaine, ecstasy, heroin, LSD, mushrooms, methadone, and methamphetamine.
0: Okay, but what does mugs mean?
2: I guess it means mug is a slang term, probably cockney. It means stupid, gullible
3: person. So she's insulting the audience and promoting drug use.
0: So, so yeah. she's well, she's, she's kind of like saying crack is whack, sort of. Pretty much, yes, yeah. exactly. Crack crack is whack.
3: Is
2: equivalent. Uh, although she smoked weed and was already a fairly big drinker, the accepted version in the film too is it, the film is um, Amy, which we'll talk about later on. Is that Winehouse didn't take crack or heroin? until after she and Blake were married, although he had been taking heroin for much longer than she had. Scumcy actually thinks that it started earlier. She would be talking gibberish, and then all of a sudden, she had a stammer. Okay, here's where I feel really bad for Mr. Hickey today. Not as bad as I feel. Her favorite <laughs> drink was called a rickstasy Mm-hmm. Which, honey, why don't you uh, go ahead and repeat what you said at the beginning of the episode so people know how horrible uh, this yes, is. Yes, before
3: I expound on its uh, virtues, which will be few. Um, it is three parts vodka, one part Southern Comfort, one part banana liqueur, and one part Baileys, which I can guarantee is six parts absolute
0: crap. Yeah. Which, which which adds up to, hold on a second, six parts ass.
3: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. The butthole of an extinct dragon. <laughs> yes. And I just wonder how she stumbled upon this mixture. I mean, some barman in London probably had to come up with this.
0: It, it yes, I, I I would guess so. Unless that's just all she had in the cabinet one night, and she just took to mixing. I don't know how else she would come I with that. Come up together, with that. Yeah.
2: yeah, I'd like to know who the Rick is in see.
3: Yeah, I I don't know.
0: A little known fact, Schroeder.
3: I was going to say Springfield. <laughs> I was going to say Astley.
0: <laughs> Not, that's even beauty better. Maybe
3: we're all right, and that's the beauty of it. It's open <laughs> to interpretation. It's whatever Rick you wanted yeah, to be. exactly.
2: When Blake went back to his ex-girlfriend a few months later, again, it went. It was the start of a period of madness and chaos. That was the last four years. Winehouse flipped out and turned furiously to alcohol. When it became critical, Szymanski and Goodwin tried to put her in rehab, but at the time... Her father thought that she didn't need to go. Mitch, dude, what are you thinking?
3: Hmm.
2: When she told Mark that story, he actually suggested that she turned it into a song and Rehab would become the pivotal hit of her career. Mm -hmm. White House's best-selling song came out when she was walking around with producer Mark Ronson. And you guys will know Mark for his work on Bruno Mars' song, Uptown Funk. Like that song was massive. And I still, like, it's still played at every wedding I ever work. I believe he's still with Island Records, too. I think he is, too. So he recalled that Winehouse actually sang the hook for rehab, along with the popular no, no, no part. It was only at Mark's insistence that she would actually record the tune that led to its creation. Later, Winehouse did admit that the song was about her former management company, who we might add, reaped none of the rewards of the singer's success. (laughs) When they, So when they her management company suggested that she enter rehab. She dumped them (laughs) and turned the experience into the song. So they told her to go to rehab. She said, no, 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 dumped them, wrote a phenomenal song, and they got nothing. Took it to another management company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bully on her, dude. The song Rehab, which addresses her refusal to receive treatment for substance abuse, became a top 10 hit in the UK and earned another... Ivor Novello Award for Best Contemporary Song. The album was also a critical success, winning the artist a Brit Award for Best Female Solo Artist and a Brit nomination for Best British Album 2007. I feel like that's a very specific award. Suddenly flushed with a six-figure advance that would soon be followed by much larger paychecks, Winehouse bought her first apartment, or excuse me, her, her own flat, in london's camden neighborhood long the mecca for punk musicians drug dealers and people who enthusiastically consumed both of their products with little to do but work on her music she embraced the local scene with open arms becoming regular at pubs which must have been, That's been cool super yeah. cool <laughs> like just hang
3: out in amy winehouse yeah. You
2: know yeah amy winehouse is in like what sounds to be kind of a, a dangerous and slummy place forgive me <laughs> if you're from that neighborhood i don't know anything about it i apologize i'm just looking at Drug dealers and punk musicians, and thinking, I might want some mace in this area. But here's Amy Winehouse at the bar with you, drinking her yeah, see
3: which I do not recommend. I'm sorry. Don't drink
2: it.
0: Yeah, it sounded abhorrent.
2: <laughs> which is apparently that drink is only unique to the Holly Arms, which was the pub in that area. So, oh, wow. So maybe that was kind of like their signature drink. It was on a card. She's like, let me try this. And then you know when she woke up three days later after drinking one of them because i can only assume that you know she was not very heavy
3: well, she was not how big, drunk
2: yeah. how drunk would i be after that
3: well it's pure booze there's no mixers yeah so it's how drunk would, how drunk would i be right now you'd be pretty slosh if you have one
0: well i'm, I'm equating it liquor wise to like a long island iced tea maybe in that it's just a bunch of booze
3: i would say it's only saving grace as the latter ingredients are liqueurs so you got a little bit less alcohol but you have more sugar which, so, that's, yeah. yeah, isn't sugar the reason why you get a
2: hangover? That's
0: what they say, yeah.
2: Yeah, because it dehydrates that's, you, right?
0: And dehydrate, you're dehydrated,
4: yeah. Yeah,
2: so I, I assume that that's she probably stumbled upon this drink while at this particular pub. Yeah. You know, this was about the time where she met that charming addict, Blake, <laughs> who became the center of Winehouse's world, one of her musical muses, helping create one of the most seminal songs. Pain was her muse. And her combustible relationship with Blake provided plenty of inspiration and he actually in- introduced her to heroin and hard drugs and this on and off again relationship uh, you can imagine was super volatile and what would separate them was stuff that you shouldn't be able to come back from which was infidelity and stints in prison <laughs> whoopsie if you're a musician and you have things you want to get out you write music she told an interviewer in 2006 You don't want to settle because when you settle, you might as well call it a day. The grief and turmoil that fueled her creativity and the tumult with Blake would inspire many of the lyrics in Back in Black. Her heartbreak, frustration, unhealthy addictions, belted out over the sounds of 1960s girl groups, the most famous of that is rehab, would prove to be apocryphal. On October 30th, 2006, her second album, Back in Black, was released. Five singles were released from the album, and the first single rehab spent fifty-seven weeks on the UK singles chart. That's massive. She had a shift musically, whereas Frank was more jazz, dub influence, like you heard, you heard stronger than me, which sounded it did sound more contemporary, whereas this one leaned more heavily on the girl groups from the 50s and the 60s. Winehouse worked with New York singer Sharon Jones' longtime band, The Dap Kings, to back her in the studio and on tour. Back to Black has been cited to have the musical stylings of contemporary R&B, neo-soul, reggae, classic R&B, and 1960s pop and soul. Chuck Eddy, musical journalist, credits Runson and Remy's production for resembling Phil Spector's wall of sound technique and surrounding Winehouse with bass, strings, and a harp. (laughs) Okay, so we've gotten to that point. The album's first song, Rehab, is upbeat, contemporary, and autobiographical about Winehouse's past refusal to attend an alcohol rehabilitation center after a conversation that she had with her father, Mitch Winehouse. Winehouse mentions Ray and Mr. Hathaway in reference to Ray Charles and Donnie Hathaway. However, for some live performances, she replaced Ray with Blake, referring to, at the time, her ex-husband, so we're going to take a short break and listen to what i would consider her most famous
4: song rehab they tried to make me go to rehab i said no 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 yes i've been black but when i come.
3: Is amazing, it's just it just transports you to a different place in time.
0: We were just kind of talking as that was playing there, Wheel of the Thrill, that very reminiscent of Leslie Gore.
3: I could definitely hear that, yeah. And this was what 2007, 2008, yeah, 2006. I mean, I I remember hearing this when it came out, and I was honestly confused by it at first.
2: Um, Well, here's the thing like the musical landscape at this point was like gnarles Barkley's crazy you had hips don't lie by shakira you beautiful james blunt temperature by sean paul the number one song of that year was bad day by daniel powder yeah so rehab. nothing else out there so yeah, yeah. It was, literally there was nothing else out there and it hits you like a ton of bricks yep. very
0: very very retro very eclectic sounding and that voice just cuts through everything all the time
2: oh yeah yeah i mean i i'm i'm thrilled to be talking about her because her voice was so incredibly unique a couple of the other songs that were on there were you know i'm no good which was an uptempo song about winehouse cheating on a good man who loves her and therefore cheating herself out of a healthy relationship you know i'm no good which was released on january 8th and that was the, se- the album's second single reaching number 18 on uk charts we didn't get this album until 2007 with a remix of You, you Know I'm No Good featuring Ghostface Killah. So the, they had a good six months on us mm-hmm. with the song. The other song that I adore off of this album is Tears Dry on Their Own. And I think the reason why I love that is, and this is going to be the, the final song that we used for her. But before I get to that, that has the same chord progression from Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell's 1967 song. Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And so it did sample from the actual 1960s version of the song. Back to Black was named one of the 10 best albums of 2006 and 2007 by several publications on their year-end album list, including Time, which was number one, Entertainment Weekly, which was number two, Billboard, which was number three, New York Times, which was number three, The Austin Chronicle, number four, Slant Magazine, Blender, and the album was placed number 40 on Rolling Stone's list of the top 50 albums of 2007. Entertainment mm-hmm. Weekly's critic Chris Williams named Beck and Black the second best album of 2007, commenting that Black will hold up as one of the great breakthrough CDs of our time. Wow. Fully agree with that. Because wow. we're like, think about it. We're listening to it now, mm-hmm. 13 years after we got it. It's quite the acclaim. And we're still talking about it like it's fresh and new. Yeah. Like, I, I fully believe that Back to Black is going to be one of those albums that you can listen to, and it will be timeless. So the album as a whole did really, really well. Back to Black debuted at number three on the UK album charts. The album reached number one for the first time during the week, ending January 20th, 2007. It's 11th week on the chart, selling over 35,000 copies which
0: and in 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 uh, which in the UK is a lot because you have to think about the population size and stuff also
2: one week so yeah. Think, yeah yeah and by by the time this article was written which was October 2018 it had sold 3.93 million copies Damn. making it the UK's second best selling album of the 20th century so far as well as the 13th best selling album in the uk of all time so you know it did good in april 2007 amy and blake were engaged one house revealed that her romance with a 23 year old was the inspiration for several of the back to black tracks the couple actually ended up eloping and married on may 18 2007 in a ceremony in miami florida i would have gone to vegas it
4: was
2: florida
3: it's just as weird
2: well she She had been recording, that's where Back to Black was recorded, so she has ties to Miami. At his request, actor Bruce Willis introduced Amy Winehouse before her performance of Rehab at the 2007 Movie Awards in Universal City, California, on the 3rd of June. During the summer, she actually had performed at various festivals like Glastonbury and Lollapalooza. On August 8th of 2007, she overdosed on several drugs. And when I say several, I mean all of them. It was heroin, ecstasy, cocaine, ketamine, and alcohol. And all of this was alleged. Allegedly. Wow. And that was from the source that I found online. She was forced to cancel a number of shows in the UK and Europe, and she was hospitalized. And in the press, she was claiming exhaustion. But people kind of, sort of, had a feeling that it was something else.
3: Right.
2: Yeah, people didn't really buy it. Winehouse later told the news of the world that she had overdosed after she had used a mix of all of that stuff and vodka during a bar crawl in London. Huh. I'm assuming it was a literal bar crawl. It sure sounds that way. Yes. Winehouse's European tour in the fall of 2007, however, was scheduled to continue. But while in Norway in October, An anonymous tip led police to the stars hotel room in Bergen, where she was arrested and held in prison overnight for marijuana possession White House and her husband Sybil, and a third unidentified person were jailed the trio was released after paying $715 in fines.
3: Very specific number. That
2: is weird. How do they come up with numbers for fines? In November of 2007, Winehouse's husband was arrested again for allegedly offering a $400,000 bribe to a bartender whom he had allegedly assaulted in June of 2007. Following his arrest, Winehouse showed up in mid-November at Birmingham National Indoor Arena to perform Seemingly Intoxicated, and some Mm. of the crowd responded with booze and walkouts. And then a critic from the Birmingham Mail said that it was one of the saddest nights of my life. I saw a supremely talented artist reduced to tears, stumbling around the stage and unforgivably swearing at the audience. (laughs) Other concerts ended kind of like that. Like the fans at her Hammersmith Apollo performance in London said that she looked intoxicated throughout that night. And so like 2007 was just a really bad year for her. Winehouse canceled all the other concerts and public appearances for the rest of 2007, citing doctor's orders, and that's in bunny ears. A month later, Winehouse was arrested on suspicion of attempting to interfere with her husband's case. She voluntarily reported to a police station, was arrested before questioning. She later blamed her husband's legal woes for her inability to continue her tour. Despite her inconsistent touring schedule, Winehouse's albums continued to sell, going platinum nearly five times that year. It became the best-selling album 2007 in the UK. She was an admitted marijuana smoker. She was dogged by reports of continuing drug abuse and strange behavior. After that announcement, they put a planned tour of North America on hold. And uh, that announcement indicated that Winehouse had been ordered to rest and was working with doctors to address her health. In addition, so like she didn't stop working because in addition to her own album, she was actually collaborating with other artists on singles. Winehouse was a a vocalist on the song "Valerie," which I'm about to play because it's a, because great, it's a song. great
3: song. It's a wonderful song.
2: On Mark's solo album version, and the song peaked at number two in the UK upon its October single release, and it was nominated for a 2008 Brit Award for Best British Single. Her work with ex-Sugar babe is Mataya Buena's "B Boy Baby," which was released on December 17th 2007, and that served as the fourth single from her debut album. So we're going to rock it back and I'm going to play Valerie. You know why? Because it's, uh, it's my podcast. I'll do what I want and it's a great song. Have you heard this one, T?
0: I don't think I have.
2: Oh my God. It's excellent. Okay, it is amazing. to that sound
0: almost nothing
2: uh so uh, i i put this in it should have gone in the episode a little earlier but it has no effect on the story Mm -hmm. and really i put this in just to make travis laugh just to make the deuce laugh Mm -hmm. because on december 31st you know new year's eve 2006 a white house appeared on the jules holland annual hootenanny (laughs) (laughs) See, I knew that would make you laugh.
0: Jules Holland, former member of Squeeze. He was? Oh,
2: like Tempted?
0: Yeah. Was he really? Meow. Tempted, pulling muscles from the shell. That yes, them.
2: Wow. Okay. Well, he had a hoot nanny. Clearly.
0: <laughs> and I bet there is no hoot nanny quite like a Jules Holland Hoot nanny.
2: There's probably not. Well, she covered Marvin Gaye's, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, along with Paul Weller and Holland's Rhythm and Blues Orchestra. And she also performed Toots and the (laughs) Maytals Monkey Man. Didn't
0: uh, didn't we just lose Toots here very recently?
2: We actually did. You can see that. There's a post on our Twitter page about that. Yep, yep, yep. It gets harder because in January of 2008, a video allegedly showing Amy Winehouse smoking crack cocaine surfaced leading to a brief stint in rehab. And she was arrested in May of 2008 for questioning, but she wasn't formally charged in the case because police could not officially determine what she was smoking in the video. And I didn't realize just having a video of you smoking something could lead to an arrest.
3: Yeah, I don't know how that would work, yeah.
2: That's scary. After publicly admitting to illegal substance abuse, Amy was actually denied a U.S. visa due to her use and abuse of narcotics and this prevented her from performing live at the 2008 grammy awards instead she actually performed in london via satellite during that evening ceremony white won five grammys including prizes for best new artist record of the year song of the year and becoming the first british singer to win five grammy awards as well as tying with singer beyonce for the record for the most grammy wins by a female artist in a single night uh Knowles actually broke that record when she won six in one night. And Adele actually tied that record with six Grammy wins in 2012.
0: I was going to say, if you think about how influential British music has been and how big it's been in America, if she broke the record at the time, that's really saying something.
3: Yeah, that's impressive. Because okay, I'm I you mean, gonna...
0: think about how big the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Kinks and, well, what are and those? on and on
2: but what are those? Those are all men. Yeah. All those artists are men. We're Mm -hmm. talking specifically about females. Right. Because I hate to say it because I do get up on a soapbox when I talk about this, but the music and the film industry are incredibly misogynistic and it took a really long time for women to kind of get their dues. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But That says something when we so you know, like Adele is British and she won six. Yeah. And Beyonce is friggin the queen. Hmm. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. She's literally Queen Bee. There there have been fights about the Grammys and the Oscars kind of being misogynistic and leaning toward males. Mm -hmm. For her to come in and dominate like that really does say something. You know, sorry to the Rock and Roll Heaven audience, which hates when I get up on my my feminine soapbox but there i am so on april 26 2008 she was cautioned after she admitted to police that she had slapped a 38 year old man in the face a common assault offense her first of two she voluntarily turned herself in and was held overnight also like i didn't realize that you couldn't just slap someone i thought that was okay
0: i thought is that frowned upon (laughs) Uh,
2: I need to change my life perspective if should
0: I not have done that because had I known it was frowned upon
2: <laughs> I would have i would have responded differently yes uh, she voluntarily turned herself in and was held overnight police said at her arrival that she was in no fit state to be interviewed but she actually fainted in the summer of 2008 and was diagnosed with emphysema oh wow yeah which was a shocking warning that more smoking and drinking would permanently ruin her natural gifts but that message didn't take mm-hmm. uh, she was booed off the stage at gigs around the world when she was too drunk to perform and canceled more concerts than she played she left the stage in the middle of the of a performance in saint lucia in early 2009 unable to remember the lyrics to her own songs Ooh. and in her words she was bored and her commitment to recording songs for the james bond movie quantum of solace fell through while she claimed that she had quit doing drugs in 2008, alcohol kind of became her constant companion. So just to focus on that for one second, because she was actually, you, you had asked me if Amy Winehouse had done a song for Quantum of Solace. Because I
3: thought she had.
2: And it was actually given to Alicia Keys. So...
0: I think if you're British, missing out on getting to do a signature Bond song would be, would be kind of a blow.
3: Yeah, and, and thinking about the the company that would put you in, think about all the Bond things and who's done them. I mean, Shirley Bassey, Tina Turner, Adele. Madonna, Adele, Sam Smith, uh, Sam Smith, Duran
0: uh, Duran,
3: yes, Paul McCartney. Aha! Uh-huh. Wait, Aha uh-huh did a Bond. They thing? did. They did Living Daylights. Yeah. Did it suck? No, it looks good.
2: <laughs> so I mean, she missed out on something really big. And I don't know if that's just conjecture that she it, it fell through or it, it I don't know the reasons why she didn't do the bonds thing. Or she
0: would or, or, or it could be that she just couldn't she couldn't function at that point is what it sounds like. She couldn't perform in concert. So But also
2: it, it could be the whole Con Air thing where, you know, they Lee Ann Rhymes did How Do I Live and then they wanted a more mature voice and so they went with Trisha Yearwood. So they they took an older voice so Alicia Keys is a very different sound than Amy Winehouse is so they could have just wanted a different sound what my research said is it fell through so it could have been either because she wasn't able to function or if the filmmakers had chosen a different sound
0: but just putting the pieces together she was unable to perform in concert it sounded like
2: yeah in July 2008 she stated that she had been diagnosed with some area of emphysema So this is when she announced it publicly to the world that she had this. And that she said that she was getting herself together by eating loads of healthy foods, sleeping loads, playing my guitar, making music, writing letters to my husband every day, because I'm pretty sure at this point he was in prison again. She also kept a vertical tanning bed in her flat. She began doing precautionary tests on her lungs and chest at a clinic for what was reported to be a chest infection. She was in and out of the facilities and was granted permission to set her own schedule regarding home leave. And she returned to the hospital on November the 23rd for a reported reaction to medication that she was taking for those early stages of emphysema. At the 2008 Ivor Novello Awards in May, she became the first ever artist to receive two nominations for the top award, Best Song, musically and lyrically. And she won the award for Love is a Losing Game and was nominated for You Know I'm No Good and Rehab a novella winner for Best Contemporary 2006 Song. And she also received a 2008 nomination for the Best-Selling British Song. Winehouse was also nominated for a 2008 MTV Europe Award in the Act of the Year category. So you guys got to remember that she put out that album like two years ago in our timeline, but her drug problems constantly pose a threat to her career, not just due to like bad publicity of canceled shows, But because they could have ended her life, even if the alcohol hadn't, according to her father, medical tests showed that Amy had 70% lung capacity in 2008.
3: That was problematic for a singer.
2: It is very problematic because if I've learned anything from COVID, if you drop to 90%, they have to place you on a ventilator. And she was at 70? And she was at 70%. Yeesh. And that was according to her dad. Wow. Smoking cigarettes and crack cocaine had damaged her lungs and her heartbeat, which gave her an irregular heart rhythm. As she grew older, there's a very good chance that she would need an oxygen mask to even breathe properly. Oh wow! Much less like wow about singing, like just scary. existing. She would need an oxygen oh. mask. Uh, by the end of 2008, the singer's marriage had dissolved. House had begun an extended stay on the Caribbean island of Saint Lucia during the time that she had le- allegedly met a new love interest. And the tabloids had linked Blake to a German model named Sophie. And in January 2009, a spokesperson for Amy confirmed that divorce proceedings had begun between husband and wife with Blake filing for divorce and citing adultery as a reason for the split, which is weird yeah. because he was super into cheating, apparently. Sounds that way. So that here, here's something to put into perspective. They were married for 17 months wow and and in between that times they had survived a jail term repeated drug and alcohol excess, the glaring spotlight of fame but it could not withstand a 21 year old blonde model who reportedly mouthed i love you during his appearance in a london courtroom huh it's over there's no way back for us now it's never going to last we were only together for the sex. She was reported saying in the newspaper, the news of the world. Amy said this? Yes. Okay. So this was 17 months of just the most tumultuous time of her life. He had allegedly introduced her to heroin. He had done stints in prison. Like it was just a volatile relationship, but she considered him like her soulmate. And, and that that was her greatest muse for Back to Black, which was like her most successful album. And all of a sudden it's it's done. It's over. But it actually looked like her life was gonna kind of turn around at this point because she started dating a clean cut film director named Reg Travis. And with a promising career, he was seen as a stabilizing force in Winehouse's life and actually had the approval of her parents. But he was he was a clean cut, straight razor kind of dude that, you know, what was hopefully gonna be a good influence on Amy's life. And it did seem like it was starting to turn around. And uh, remember, we mentioned about the labels, how they started their own labels. In January of 2009, Winehouse announced that she was gonna launch her own record label. The first act on her Lioness Records was Winehouse's 13-year-old goddaughter, Dion Bromfield. Her first album features covers of classic Soul Records, which was released on the 12th of October, 2009. So that's a pretty good turnaround, like establishing your own record label, having your first act and have them release their first album underneath you in less than a year is pretty good. Would you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She sang backing tracks on several of those tracks on the album. And she provided vocals for Broomfield on the BBC's television program Strictly Come Dancing in October <laughs> of that year.
3: A great
2: name, but hopping back in the timeline on the 5th of March 2009, Winehouse was arrested and charged with common assault following a claim by a dancer named I think it's Shireen Flash that Winehouse had punched her in the eye in September of 2008 at Prince's Trust Charity Ball. Uh, sure. Also, in 2009, she was added to the Guinness Book of World Records for most Grammy Awards won by a British female act, but of course, that will change when Adele steps in and wins six. She actually mentioned in the British press that for the time being, I've just forgotten that I was ever married when speaking about Blake. I still love Blake and I want him to move into my new house with me. That was my plan all alone. I won't let him divorce me. He's the male version of me and we are perfect for each other. Nonetheless, an unconstituted divorce was granted in July and became final in August. And Blake received, how much money do you think he received in the settlement.
3: It's either nothing or a ridiculous amount. Okay. T. 500,000 pounds. Thank you, Terry Jones. <laughs> yep. He got nothing. He got nothing. <laughs> he he got sure. got oh,
2: absolutely wow. nothing. Winehouse and her family were the subject of a 2009 documentary titled Saving Amy. And she entered into a joint venture with EMI to launch a range of wrapping paper and gift cards containing song lyrics from her album. Because nothing says <laughs> I love you like the lyrics from Rehab. <laughs> right.
3: I'm no good.
2: Tears dry on their own. <laughs> Happy engagement. Tears dry on their own. <laughs> yes.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. No, no, no.
2: <laughs> on January 8, 2010, a television documentary, My Daughter Amy, aired on Channel 4, Saving Amy, was released on paperback in January of 2010. So she's got She's got her albums. She's got wrapping paper. She's got gift cards. She's got books. She's got television appearances. She has her own record label. I, you know, and she's finally dating Reg Travis, who, by all accounts, is a good dude. It kind of sounds like everything is coming up, Amy, right? She also has a 17 piece fashion collection with Fred Perry, which is incredible like, because now she has become a, a legit fashion icon. Fred
3: Perry?
2: Yeah. It was vintage inspired, of course. So you could get like Capri pants, bowling dress, mm-hmm. trench coats, pencil skirts, argyle sweaters, pink and black checkerboard printed collar shirts, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like things yeah. that things that I would wear if we were going out.
3: Got
2: it. Okay. So she's doing pretty darn good. Now the thing is different with America than it is with Britain is that they don't stand for the paparazzi in Britain because I think in this stems from Princess Diana. Okay,
3: how so?
2: Uh, You can actually get injunctions on them to stop them from following you.
3: Oh, wow.
0: Well, and the British press is notoriously uh, very salacious, aggressive, I'll say. So they don't need the paparazzi.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So she actually got an injunction against a leading paparazzi agent, Big Pictures, under the protection from Harassment Act, which came out in 1997. So that I believe, if I know my history, that did stem from the Princess Diana
3: Mm.
2: uh, death because, you know, the paparazzi was blamed for her death by chasing her down. The resulting court order was issued by the high court, banned them from following her, photographers were also banned from following her within 100 meters of where she was uh, and they couldn't come close to her london home that being said like if someone got close to her legal action was taken out of concern for the safety of her and those close to her so at this point she is becoming a phenomenon she's it's it's just a mixture of everything that that paparazzi want they want to see you fail they want to see you in a bad mood they want to see you doing drugs because that's what sells right so good for her in Winehouse's last interview in 2011 she she actually got to record a duet of the jazz classic body and soul with tony bennett remarking that it was a story to tell my grandchildren bennett was the last person that actually ever recorded winehouse before her death Mm. and that was a huge thing like think about it tony bennett is one of the closest things that we still have to Frank Sinatra forever, yeah. right T absolutely Winehouse was performing in Brazil which uh this is in 2011 which is one of her last concerts before her death she played five dates in Brazil so she, when she actually did this concert the opening act was Janelle Monet and uh Meyer Hawthorne if you guys don't know who Janelle Monet is she did a song called Tightrope, which was featured on the TV show Glee. But she was also in the film that we covered last year, which was Harriet. And she was excellent in it. But she's a phenomenal, she's like, she's a phenomenal singer, really impressive singer, and a great actress. But the following month, she cut a performance short in Dubai following booing from the audience. And I don't know who buys a ticket to boo someone.
0: I think it's so, a lot of it. Well, probably nobody, but this this seems to be kind of a, a theme with her. This happened in America, from what you're saying. It's happened in Dubai. It's happened back in her native country. If, you sh- if people are shelling out big, big money for concert tickets, which concert tickets cost now, and the person shows up drunk or high and they can't sing and they're stumbling across the stage and don't know the words, I mean, you're I mean, going to have happened, people booing.
2: That happened with Guns N' Roses, like, he couldn't remember words. To well, them. sure. There well, sure. Time. But it's,
0: well, sure. But that's Axel. I mean, come on.
2: <laughs> well, there was one time where Slash was so drunk, he couldn't do the opening riffs to welcome to the jungle.
0: Okay. I think he started, yeah, right. Right. He started playing like uh, muskrat love. or uh, <laughs> yeah, It <laughs> was like Kung Fu fighting or something. It was, really, it was a really weird <laughs> moment for everybody. It was
2: very, very strange. It was painful to watch. Yes but she was reported in that performance in Dubai to be tired, distracted, and tipsy.
0: Hmm.
2: Uh, I mean, don't, don't boo her because she's just tired. People would boo But me.
0: she probably wasn't just tired. Yeah, that's true. Because you threw in tipsy at the end there, which, I mean...
2: <laughs> yeah. In June of 2011, she started her 12-leg European tour in Belgrade. Local media described that performance as a scandal and a disaster, and <laughs> she was booed off the stage
0: did she ever do an actual performance where she wasn't this is this is like a such a recurring trend from what you're reading this air
2: it's crazy the amount of time she actually got booed off stage because i found this in like my my research was amalgamation of about 30 different articles on her life from the internet and just about everyone mentioned that later on this was like a thing The local press also claimed that Winehouse was forced to perform by her bodyguards who did not allow her to leave the stage when she tried to do so. She then pulled out of performances in Istanbul and Athens, which had been scheduled for the following week. And on the 21st of June, it was announced she had canceled all of her shows again and would be given as long as it takes to sort herself out. Winehouse's last public appearance took place at Camden's Roadhouse on the 20th of July, 2011. When she made a a surprise appearance on stage to support her goddaughter, who we spoke about before, who was singing Mama Said with The Wanted. Three days later, when Amy Winehouse died of alcohol poisoning, which was July 23rd, 2011, she had not released a new album in five years. And since she put out her landmark Grammy, multi-Grammy winning classic, Back in Black in 2006, Winehouse was just 27 years old when she died.
0: So she only did two albums?
2: She put out, okay, so...
0: Frank she, and Back was, to Black, and that's it?
2: When she died, it had been five years since she had put out Back to Black, and so that's all she had was Frank and Back to Black. And I feel like there's, like, one more other pseudo-album. which might have been an amalgamation of sure. songs, but for some reason I thought she was listening. But literally, she had had two albums, and she had a meteoric rise to fame in a very short amount of time and then
0: yeah so uh, i just i wonder if there was there unfinished because again I, I she's not somebody i know a ton about i i really i knew a few of her songs i like the ones that we've played here has posthumous stuff come out that she had cut and not released or
2: uh i can tell you that hang on
0: Because almost any time they can people can uh, somebody can scrape together enough stuff to call it an album they'll throw it out just to make you know to make bucks off somebody that just died. Yeah,
2: Lioness Hidden Treasures, which was a posthumous compilation album, and that was released in 2011, like right after her death, which is like unreleased songs, covers, and demos that were selected by Mark and Remy and the Winehouse family, including the first single, Body and Soul, with Tony Bennett. So that's what was on that album. Okay. But just getting into how she passed, uh, Winehouse's bodyguard said that he had arrived at her residence three days before her death and felt like she had been somewhat intoxicated, which I don't know if you remember back to that time. I remember thinking, like, she was on a good path at this point. Like, I felt like she was...
3: Not like we knew, I mean... Well,
2: no, I remember the press making a big deal of her sobriety. Right. And Uh. then it being like a complete shock that she died of alcohol poisoning. But anyway, he observed moderate drinking over the next few days and she had been laughing, listening to music, watching TV at 2 a.m. on the day of her death. At 10 a.m. on the 23rd, he observed her lying on a bed and tried to unsuccessfully rouse her. This didn't raise such uh, much suspicion because she usually slept late after a night out. And according to the bodyguard, shortly after 3 p.m., when he checked on her again and observed her lying in the same position as before, leading for him to check further. When he did, he concluded that she was not breathing and had no pulse. He called emergency services at 3.54 and two ambulances were called to her house and she was pronounced dead at the scene of age 27. Shortly afterwards, the Metropolitan Police actually confirmed that she had died. After her death was announced, media and camera crews appeared and crowds gathered near her residence to pay their respects. Forensic investigators entered the flat as police cordoned off the street outside. They recovered one small and two large bottles of vodka from her room. On on that Saturday, as the news of her death spread, a ton of musicians actually took to Twitter with their thoughts and, and wishes her lily allen who rose to british pop scenes shortly after amy did and kind of uh, has the same sort of look like that sort of retro look and actually just married david harbour of stranger things fame uh, which is kind of awesome and she is the brother of alfie allen who is on game of thrones i just i want to point out that i just said a bunch of words that tj does not understand Mm -hmm. nope do you know what game of thrones is
0: i've i've it's a, isn't it like a thing?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know who, do you know what Stranger Things is?
0: It's a, um no.
2: You guys, this isn't an act. He has no idea. He doesn't.
0: I've,
2: my brother doesn't have a single streaming platform in his house.
0: I've heard of Game of Thrones. I know it's like a show or something. And that's about the best I can offer.
2: Okay. So anyway, uh, Lily called her such a lost soul the singer josh groban wrote drugs took her gift her soul and her light long before they took her life rest in peace amy a coroner's inquest reached a verdict of misadventure and that report was released on the 26th of october explaining that amy's blood content was 416 mgs per 100 ml that's a lot of a uh,
0: That's a lot of... She she was was extremely intoxicated. Extremely, yes.
2: Which is 0.416%. That's a whole lot of metrics, and I'm assuming that's a whole lot... That's
0: almost five times uh, legally drunk.
2: Okay. Was it 0.08 that you're drunk?
0: 0.08 is legally drunk in most states. And if she was almost to to, to 0.50, she was... I don't even know how you can drink that much and not pass out. Like it, it seems like halfway there, you would just fall on your face, passed out. That, that's yeah. almost like you were injecting it. If you hit it that, that, that's it's so you're out. so you're so drunk at that point. I, I don't I don't know how you get that drunk because normally mm-hmm. at about at about point two, you just you just you fall out.
2: According to the coroner, the unintended consequence of such potentially fatal levels was the cause of her sudden death. So moving to her service, because remember I was telling you guys that she she grew up Jewish, but went to, you know, we should go to synagogue for Yom Kippur out of respect and things like that. But she actually did have a traditional Jewish funeral service. And that was led by Rabbi Frank Hellner. Winehouse's favorite song was Carole King's So Far Away. And her funeral service ended with her loved one singing it which I think oh,
0: wow.
2: is really, really sweet. Good song.
0: Yeah,
2: Kelly Osborne and Mark Ronson were among some of the famous friends that joined Winehouse's friends and family at the cemetery earlier that day. She ended up being cremated following those services and her ashes were buried alongside her grandmother, Cynthia's, which I find incredibly sweet because remember, she had the tattoo of her grandmother on her back or on her body. Mm-hmm. So she did, you know, Cynthia meant something to her. Chris Goodman, who was the UK-based representative for Winehouse, told Britain's Daily Mail that her father gave a touching eulogy at that ceremony. Mitch was funny, and he told some great stories from her childhood about how, how headstrong she was and how clearly the family and friends recognized the stories and laughed along. He stressed that so many times she was happier now than she had ever been, and he'd spoken about her boyfriend and paid tribute to a lot of people in her life. Mitch Winehouse said during the ceremony that his daughter was trying to overcome her addiction, having told him, Daddy, I've had enough. I can't stand the look on your face and the family's faces anymore. He said he planned to set up a foundation in his daughter's name to help people struggling with addiction. Knowing she wasn't depressed, knowing she passed away happy, makes us all feel better, he said. A family friend, Alfie Ezekiel, 55 said the service, had been a joyful celebration of the singer's life. Mitch gave a good eulogy, and he managed to get through it very well, considering. Mitch's last words to Amy in his eulogy was, Good night, my angel, Goodman said. Sleep tight, Mommy and Daddy love you ever so much. The one person that was missing from the service was uh, Blake. He was not in attendance because he was currently serving a 32-month jail sentence. Hmm. Winehouse had only released two albums, like we were talking about in her short career, winning five Grammy Awards, Brit Awards, the Ivor Novello Awards, being one of the first women to win, to win two nominations for that top award, often made headlines because of her drug, alcohol abuse, eating disorders, destructive relationships, and abortive performances, which is really sad seeing what a talent she was. George Michael actually called her the most soulful vocalist this country has ever seen. And you wanna know who one of her biggest fans was? Yeah. Prince. Oh, wow. Prince adored her. Wow. Prince absolutely loved her. He was a massive fan. So after her death, the Amy Winehouse Foundation was set up by the Winehouse family and was launched on the 14th of September, 2011, which would have been her 28th birthday. And its aim is to help young people and works with other charitable organizations to provide frontline support. Its central office is in North London, but it also has an office in New York operating under the name the Amy Winehouse Foundation U.S. And Amy's brother works full-time for that foundation, having given up his career as an online music journalist to work for that foundation. Oh, wow. The charity itself works to prevent the effects of drug and alcohol misuse on young people And it aims to support, inform, inspire vulnerable and disadvantaged young people to help them reach their full potential. On March 13th, with the help of ex-addict Russell Brand, that name should be familiar to our audience because he is a British comic who actually was married to Katy Perry. Yes. The foundation launched the Amy Winehouse Foundation Resilience Program for schools across the UK, which aims to provide effective education around drugs, alcohol and dealing with emotional issues and anyone who believes that young people can be a part of Amy's legacy. And you can help if you guys feel so moved by going to the do amyweinehousefoundation.org to get any information about donations or helping. And if you guys genuinely wanna help, I will leave that address in the show notes for this week's show. There's a statue unveiled on what would have been her 31st birthday which was a sculptor, Scott Eaton. And you can find that in Camden Town, North London and fans and relatives gathered for the unveiling at the Camden Stable Markets where it will be a permanent memorial to her. So she will actually have a permanent memorial. And then there was a documentary film that was created called Amy. And uh, it covers her life, her relationships, her struggles, her substance abuse her career, which, uh, you know, the substance abuse eventually causing her death. And it was premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and was being reviewed as a tragic masterpiece. Brilliant, heartbreaking, unmissable. And it won Best Documentary at the Oscars, Best Music Film at the Grammys a BAFTA for Best Documentary, the MTV Music Award for Best Documentary, which I didn't even know was a thing, <laughs> in addition to a nomination for the BAFTA Award for Best British Film. And that was barely a year after her death. So there, and there's a lot of controversy that goes along with this film, but it's a it's a big amalgamation of hundreds of different clips of Amy's life. Mm. So... I mean, that's if you guys are interested in in uh, documentaries or rockumentaries, this is probably a good one for her. In October of two thousand seventeen, it was announced by Winehouse's father, Mitch, that a Western musical based on Amy was in the works, and he also revealed the information about the foundation. and In two thousand eighteen, they had signed a deal. Her her estate, her family had signed a deal with Monumental Pictures to make a biopic about her life, which was going to be directed by Amy Owen and produced by Deborah Hayward. And it was going to be adapted for the big screen by Jeff Dean, who had written Kinky Boots and it's a boy-girl thing. And the project was slated to start filming in 2019. I don't know what came of that because I feel like if there was actually a biopic about Amy... Winehouse it would have been something yeah I
3: think it would have been made but I
2: actually remember the documentary coming out I don't remember anything I don't remember a feature film coming out about her did you ever hear anything about this team
0: no I never did
2: so who did she inspire we like talking about this on the show Adele has credited Winehouse Duffy and Lady Gaga who paved the way for her to rise to the top explaining that she made it easier for an unconventional woman to have mainstream pop success. Anthony Hamilton and John Legend said that Amy Winehouse was produced by people who wanted to create a marketing coup. She basically reinvigorated a dead genre.
0: You know, when we did our episode last week on Robert Johnson, and you you hear like, gosh, he only recorded 29 songs in his life. It doesn't sound like she put out even that many in her lifetime she did not no
2: she didn't, she didn't put you it think of some
0: of these people like Jimi hendrix there's this huge cache of of material that he did he put out when he was alive but then there's a lot that's come out after the fact i mean the doors you know jim morrison was in the 27 club the doors put out just album after album after album in the you know the been the last five six years of his life but this, this is so this is weird i mean she she put out two albums in her, whole, in her whole life.
2: But really, like, she didn't collaborate with a whole lot of people, which is what modern artists do now. They collaborate, and collaborate, and collaborate, and it's, you know, this person featuring this person. Right. She just didn't do that. Sure. And also, it seemed like she was, she put a lot of her heart and soul into the songs that she produced. It, it was, I mentioned it earlier, that Pain was her muse. Like, Being in that really vulnerable place put her in, I guess, the right headspace. And I say that with bunny ears, the right headspace to write these incredible songs. But she was only 27 and it was just, it was just, she lived fast. She lived very fast, you know, because of her success, because of what happened when she did Back to Black record companies sought out other artists with a similar sound and And really started working with like experimental (laughs) musicians in general. And that's like Adele and Duffy. That was the second wave that, that was similar to Winehouse. Now I'm pretty sure you don't know. I could actually be wrong. Do you know Chasing Pavements by Adele? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was Adele's first American hit. And you can see the influence that Amy Winehouse had had on that single. Sure. Sure it was very bluesy. It was very retro. It was, it's a great song with an incredible music video. If you haven't seen the video for Chasing Pavements, please look that up. It's awesome. She created that second wave of really interesting British females. And then the third wave was Florence Machine, uh, Little Boots. And, you know, all of these women came after Amy. She broke down barriers. She created and rejuvenated sound she was a pioneer she was awesome that's the thing you you need to take away from this yes she had a very troubled life yes she had you know addiction that that held on to her so incredibly strong but at the root of her she was an incredible artist and I wanted to finish with a story to show you how awesome Amy Winehouse really was which is a Caribbean man named Jean de Baptista revealed that Amy Winehouse had paid for an urgent surgery costing 4,000 pounds during her stay in St. Lucia in 2009. He said that it cost a fortune and Amy paid for the whole thing. I tried to thank her, but she just hugged me and told me not to say anything. Her generosity gave me my life back. Wow. Wow think in the end you have to really look and see that amy might have lost her life but she might have given life to others and that's how i'm gonna go out on this episode very nice so i'll say our social stuff is if you think that we're doing a good job you can check us out at pantheon.com sorry patreon.com uh backslash rock and roll heaven you can find us on twitter at rock and roll lt our Instagram is rock and roll heaven LT. Our Facebook is rock and roll heaven pod. I'm still not saying our website and you can email us at rock and roll heaven LT at gmail.com. And please check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at rock and roll If I've said anything too fast, you can check out the show notes. It's going to be posted there. And also please guys, don't forget headcount is getting so, so, so close to the election. And you know that we're not politically leaning on this, but I do encourage everyone to please make sure to get out there and vote. This year is very important. And I don't really care what side you're voting for, but it's so important just to get out and vote. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We really, really appreciate it. Check us out next week. We're going to be covering the life of Jimi Hendrix, which will cap out our spooky season of the 27 Club. So, from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. See you then. Bye, everybody. And with that being said, I am going to close out the show with what is probably one of my favorite Amy Winehouse songs from her album Back to Black. This is Tears Dry on Their Own.
4: All I can ever be to you Is the darnest that we know And this regret I got A custom too once it was the ride, when we were at our hide, waiting for you in the hotel at night. I knew I had him at my match, but every moment we could snatch. I don't know why I got so attached. It's my responsibility, and you don't own nothing to me, but to walk away, I have no progress He walks away, the away. stress the man when there's so many real things at hand we could have never had it all we had to hit a wall so this is inevitable withdrawal even if i stop wanting you and perspective for shit true i'll be some next man's other woman so i can't break myself again should just be my own best friend i fuck myself in the head with stupid man he walks away. The sun goes down. He takes the day, but I'm gone. And in your grave, okay, in this blue shade, my tears dry on their own. So we are history. The shadow comes. The sky goes I could say no regrets and No most of no days Cause as we kiss goodbye The sun sets So we are history The shadow covers me The sky above the place. Lonely lovers